get to it. I want to hear some wisdom from you, Ari. I want your knowledge to be transmitted through the air into my mind. Let's start with just a bit of background. For those who do not know who you are, you are a cloud solutions engineer with over 10 years of experience. You and Bart know each other quite well, so I'm going to let you talk about that one. But this talk today is all about Kubernetes cost control. And I know that is something top of mind for many of us because it is something that you can burn yourself very, very easily with. I'm sure you have some war stories and I look forward to hearing about them. But before we get into any of that, I know Bart wanted to tell us a little bit about the background that you both have. So I'll let him take over and give us a scoop on that. Okay. Thank you very much, Dimitri. Um, yeah, just as a, a short intro, I uh, can very proudly say that I hired Ari um, when a company that, that I was working in, which was very much focused on, on marketing solutions for e-commerce um, in, in shopping cart abandonment prevention. We had a huge problem with spending um, on cloud spending. We were using uh, Microsoft Azure at the time and uh, the, the cost had just got completely out of control. People were spinning up uh, virtual machines without really thinking about um, the, the consequences of that. There are also some, even some security things, but primarily the costs were just completely out of control. So we specifically needed to find somebody who could bring that know-how um, and necessary leadership skills to, at that point in ops, I think, and Adi, you can help me with this, but I think we're about 25 people. And then in terms of development, there were, I think about 150 developers. So yeah, obviously there was a big, big cultural change that needed to happen at that point. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. The other thing that I have to add is that if you look for Audi's name on YouTube, you'll see a couple of, uh, of other talks that he's given about this particular subject, but you will also find videos of Audi doing his other passion, which is kickboxing. Um, my legs could tell many war stories about painful times that already kicked me because we used to train in the same gym. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's another another part of Artie's uh, many, many abilities is his strength inside and outside of the ring. And he's so brave that today he decided he does not use the need a PowerPoint. So the gloves are truly off. Artie, could you give us just a little bit of background about how you got into tech first? Into tech, yeah. The, the... Uh, first of all, hi everybody. Uh, nice to nice to be here, and uh, thanks for inviting me, uh, Dimitrios and and Bart, of course. Um, yeah, the tech question is very difficult actually because I don't really have a tech background in that sense. It's not like my parents pushed me into the tech world and said like, "Hey, you have your your ports of uh, soldering and those kind of things." But I did start in that area where my father uh, first taught me a little bit how to solder a, bro a broken cable that we had in the house because. I mean, back in those days, you still used to do that instead of buying something new right away, right? Instead of uh, throwing it away and buying a new one. And that's actually uh, how it did start. Um, and then we got our first PC in the house. And and yeah, before I know it, I was taking it apart, putting it back together. Uh, and that's when we decided that I was going to choose because you need to choose when you're very young that uh, no, I chose to to go into the uh, into the area of IT, right? So I did uh, right away, you specify your uh, your education into that, that direction. And I ran through the first years until 18 years, uh, everything related with IT. Uh, and then I started, uh, I started U uh, university uh, in the University of Rotterdam following um, the IT engineer uh, education there. 
yeah so and that's where uh nowhere it was more uh, higher level in that sense uh more um yeah related to to the nowadays uh, technologies which is already 10 years ago but i mean it's you now more advanced at least at least uh, and after that i started working for uh, for a consulting company in uh, in the netherlands uh, as, a, as an it consultant uh, starting of course at the, one of the lowest levels or uh, it's not a low level i want to i don't want to uh, patronize anyone but a lower level of of it you know with uh, solving incidents uh, server management uh, those kind of things yeah so okay and in the last few years can you give us just a little bit of background about what you've been doing um since then yeah so after uh, my um, my experience in holland um i moved to to the bus country because i'm living here in in the bus country in spain in bilbao um and here I found a job also for uh, for a consulting company um, where I started to work for uh, for a big uh, big energy uh, supplier for Iberola. Uh, and after that, uh, I made what I always call my best decision in my prof professional uh, career is when I changed to to V Global, and that's where I really uh, started to work with uh, with cloud technologies and, and yeah, and these modern all these modern technologies, which was what I say. Uh, what I said, the best experience I've I've had so far. Yeah. Okay, good. Now to take us a little bit further into that context where we started working together, had a huge demand um, for this uh, for this particular problem of just out of control spending across the board. Can you just give us a bit of background about how much was being spent per month at that point? Um, you know, how many virtual machines were being spun up? Uh, what was what was the context that you found in and said, hey, I got to start putting these pieces together to see how we can make this situation. Uh, improve as quickly as possible. Yeah, was, I, can, I can start by saying that it was a bit like, uh, here you have our costs and here you have our environment, take it and and try to organize it. And it was like downloading the Excel sheet from Microsoft uh, full of costs, which was like 300,000 lines long, uh, which each of the single, no, like uh, five minutes used of uh, VM, right? And, and there I went calculating, filtering an Excel sheet, which took like, one week now nah, first first i started to automate that and i thought like now nah, this is no this is this is impossible to to do um when i started i have yeah, to mention numbers we were i think around one and a half like 150,000 euros uh where at the peak uh, a month i'm talking about when mm -hmm. at the peak of uh, of expend uh, of expenditure like uh, monthly costs we touched around 260,000 euros yeah that was the peak moment, 260, 65,000 euros. And that for a rather small company, I mean, yeah. Okay. Which was mainly due to to the cost running out of hand, right? It was just uh, no organization in that sense. And, and, that's, hmm. and that's exactly it, um, uh, is, is, you know, in, in terms of approaching this, what were the, what were the main problems that, that were causing this totally out of control spending? when i got when i got in there the thing the thing what i saw was that uh, was no one was really focused on the cost right so there was not what i call uh, like there was no cost consciousness inside the company right so the, the all the development teams now there were different teams developing the products that uh, that we were offering to our clients and these development teams they didn't really have the um the idea of thinking like hey what i'm creating now is going to generate this amount of of cost right so it was just 
what we say now and what they say in Spanish, barra libre, open bar, and you can just create whatever you want, the, the resources that you want, and we just need the, you know, this, this running, right? So as quick as possible. So you had different teams, but even within different teams, people were making different tests, spinning up their their own clusters and VMs and creating storages. And, and but we're talking about uh, about pretty, pretty big clusters and modern architecture, right? I'm talking about Kafka clusters or Mesos or Docker or not just some simple VMs. No, we're talking about maybe mm, 1,500 to 2,000 virtual machines that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they don't put their toys away and That's it. can get out of hand yeah, yeah, real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you do? How did you get this culture instilled in them to make sure that they knew how much they were spending and without having to use kickboxing moves yeah yeah yeah. i couldn't use my my skills there right my street skills <laughs> no <laughs> um no it was very hard for me because i mean just imagine yourself joining a company um you're just being thrown in front of the wolves right you have this big amount of of costs that are being spent everybody has their own piece of infrastructure that they want to keep on to you know they uh, say like no but this vm i'm using for this and no one wants really that you touch their their stuff right uh which is pretty typical in in that world right uh, no i'm using this vm just leave it a bit more no so um first of all what we tried to do was to uh, to organize the the visibility of all this so to get more uh, more visibility into what we're spending and who's spending it right so we had a lot of a lot of resources and what i say we we only had we had like 1500 virtual machines in in different uh, uh, subscriptions right so you had the development subscription the continuous integration subscription uh, pre-production production um but who's using what what for which project what team um right which which uh, cost center uh, or project it was based uh, or it was used for and that was the first thing that we that we started to um to try to get uh, now together right so we started implementing there uh, we started there with the implementation of tags so tagging all the resources uh first of all we had like a setup of three or four tags um, and from where your question comes uh, also um how did you attack this how did you make the people like work work with you because uh, this was mainly based now it was a, a team a team effort so also with with certain members from management we had to push this and we had to say listen we need you to by the end of this month have these tags implemented in your resources right and that's how we how we pushed it yeah and in terms of doing that would you say it was essential to use external tools in order to get that visibility that you were talking about that was so important or was there was, was there enough internally from um, from being on Azure that you thought you could do it that way? Mm, there was by that time there was an, a solution from Azure itself because this was all on, on Microsoft Azure, right? Um, so they had their own um, um, cost management tool uh, that they were using. We at the end we made a small analysis and we chose a different a different solution. Uh, but at, at that time we chose for for Cloud Health. Um, it's a company from from the states. Um, at that moment, we thought, you no, know, uh, weighing a bit the, the costs of of the of the solution against what they would were giving us, uh, that they were the best fit for our uh, for our needs, right? So together with the with the implementation of the tags, well, I would say so. These this group of machines is uh, part of this project. Uh, the responsible one of uh, the, uh, the responsible team is this team. Uh, together with Cloud Health, we could get like 
there's a lot of visibility there, right? You could see the nice diagrams, you could create reports, alerting, you could say like, hey, if, if uh, there's a spike in costs in, uh, no, in one day, please send me an email right away. So, so do, yeah, that, that's where, where this management tool helped us enormously, yeah. So as you've seen shit hit the fan a few times, what are some typical mistakes that you feel like uh, happen over and over or patterns that you've seen when the costs go up or what what are some things that we can avoid um communication is a big one of course so the communication with between between the teams uh, that's a very very big one here eh? i think uh, no but but what we've what we've seen um you were talking about war stories now this could be one of the war stories also um the communicate it's not so much communication it's also part of responsibility of permissions and now we go a bit into the permissions part so how much responsibility do you give or how much freedom do you give to your teams right so what we saw for example was uh now we had teams that were able to create their their own uh, infrastructure um so of course this process passed by operations by ourselves we would approve it but then after that these teams had had their own permissions within this infrastructure. So they were able to scale it up or down depending on the type of infrastructure. And we're talking now about uh, about some uh, SaaS, uh, some uh, uh, software as a service products, right? Um, so what we saw here now, uh, going coming back to this, this war story is uh, that we had a team in place which changed one certain variable in their um, in their setup, in their configuration. And when we did the end of the month, um, calculations or no and we we checked the uh, the cost of of that month we saw a spike of 30000 euros which was generated in that last week of that month Ouch. and this was before setting up these alerts and and you know and this all this whole system this is also when right away management gave us the green light of <laughs> contracting uh no of, of contracting one of these management tools right <laughs> and with that sorry just in terms of like a learning curve and getting people on board with that um, and because like you said, communication is so key here. Did you, uh, you know, in, in terms of getting people on with that tool, was it mostly you focused on that or did you have to train other people on how to use that as well? No, of course, this, this is what I said before. This was a big team effort. So and now it's not just that I did this by myself. So I was uh, communicating with all the different teams. We had a, you know, a small small action group there uh, working on this now. Uh, so we were, we, were, we were operating in different uh, in different countries also, so different offices. So in each office, we had like, you know, like a responsible person which would push the, the different teams into a new implementation that we will make you know, in, in, uh, based on, on the cost reduction part, right? So we would in, in, introduce this, these tags or we'd introduce a new uh, size of machine and, and these people would, would push this around, right? So um, mm, yeah, what, would, what we would do, like, no, we would, we would push for the, for the changes I'm lost a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm uh, trying to focus on the on the next part that I wanted to say. Uh, um, get, get, uh, tell me again, please. No, no, no. In the sense of like, like I said, it's one thing to start using a tool, you know. And this and this sometimes is like, there. I think there 
tooling is, is very important, but I think it can be a little bit dangerous. And we've seen big fights yeah, about tools thing. as well. That's the thing. Yeah, is sorry. that it's not just getting the tool on board, just in the same way that it's not, you know, getting access to the cloud is understanding all the implications that's going to involve in terms that's of how it. you budget your time. All of a sudden you're gonna to have to spend more hours to keep the monitoring and yeah, things like that up to date. Particularly, like I like I said previously, in an e-commerce context, and we'll look at this a little bit later. But where you're going to have peak times, um, and so the monitoring becomes even more important, uh, depending on what part of the year you're in. And um, I'll so just yeah, that's jump what, that's in what we're and for. say real fast. It's funny to me that it wasn't until the company spent an extra thirty grand in a week that they said, "Okay, we need a tool to look at our cloud costs." That's definitely something that'll get you buying an out or outsourcing a tool so you can cover your costs. It's, it's, I think it's very true. And I think it's a good point that we can we can probably get into a little bit later is that the cost consciousness shouldn't come about only because of an emergency where you realize, oh, crap, our, you know, our yeah, costs yeah, yeah. are skyrocketing this much in a week. But it's how you can have that in place beforehand. Kind of what's similar to what we talked about with uh, with Asiera Faceta about, you know, security consciousness and things like that um, when approaching VMs and, and getting in the cloud. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, is that, you know, the, the coordination communication aspects in this particularly when in our case we had you know three development centers in in different countries everyone has their own uh dialect um of english and so sometimes th things get lost in translation um there are a lot of different you know forms of resistance against these kind of plans so that's what i was kind of going for is to see you know the different you know how much time that took and, and the patience that you have to have in coordinating these, these yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i'm sorry i got lost in my in my own speech there i live it <laughs> No, no, no. But uh, yeah, you you guys are totally right, right? Uh, it's amazing that after spending so much money, that then now people get like, oh, we should really do something right now, right? That's um, to be. Uh, it's not a typical being reactive instead of uh, proactive, proactive, right? So no, the the difficulty here was indeed like uh, to to teach these teams to work with no with these tools with the tools that we're implementing so in this case we're implementing uh, cloud health we're telling them to adopt all kind of best practices related to the cost reduction cost control area um but yeah all these teams are are with their hands full already with their own work uh, not everybody is as as motivated maybe or as interested or they just don't simply don't have the time to to focus on it so what we would try to do was in each team, we would assign a responsible person, um, a responsible, um, uh, cost responsible employee there. Uh, and those were the ones that would push in each of the teams. So first of all, I, no, that's where I went actually before I said in each of the offices, we had one person which pushed the teams, but within the teams also, we assigned a person who would be responsible. Normally this was a bit, this was the job of the PM, right? The, who would lead the team anyhow in their, uh, through their tasks and, and their sprints and everything. Um, but they also gained this, this task of pushing for the changes that we requested. Um, those were also the first ones that got access to this uh, cost management tool because we wanted them to realize how much money we were spending also. So that's where also we gave more visibility to the company itself saying, listen, mm, maybe you don't know how how necessary this is, this cost reduction project. Now you have the numbers and people really came to us like, shit, are we really spending so much money, you know, like, <laughs> because we're really spending a lot of money. I mean, 200,000 200, euros a month in cloud is, is big. Yeah. And I'm wondering who is the one at the end of the day that's accountable for that bill? Is it you 
or is it the CFO? Is it the software engineers that don't put their toys away? Who's the one that has to take the brunt of that and be responsible there? No, yeah, that's uh, at the end, mm, that depends a bit on the situation, right? So if you have everything set up the way it should be set up more or less, then you get to the point where you say, okay, now I see that this team has an enormous spike. Let's first of all check the reason of this spike. Why did this happen? Where where we're spending so much? Did they did they add more hosts? No more nodes? Did they add more uh, storage? Or did they what did they do? What was the reason for this spike? If this spike was necessary, if this increase in 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 infrastructure was necessary, then of course the team cannot be responsible for this. Then it would just be a necessary cost. If it's a cost that's not predicted and not necessary, then normally. I mean, the responsibility always lies at the end with, you know, with the one uh, being on top of these costs, right? So you, you, you're talking about the CFO here. So it could be the CFO who receives the alerts. So in case there's a spike, you no, know, in, in what we had set up, for example, was that if, if in one day uh, the costs would increase of a certain resource with 10%, then we would receive an alerting email, right? Um, so if he's, for example, the CFO is not checking his, his alerting emails, um, yeah, then it depends a bit on the situation and the company also, because there will be companies who give more more power maybe to the team itself and say, hey, we're going to send you the alert, the alerts. And others would say, we're going to send it to the CFO who is responsible, who it's his job to know what we're spending and he just needs to be on top of it. But then you get this, maybe this culture of the CFO needs to be telling his children, right, to not to spend so much. So where do you want to go a bit, right? Like. It's, it's it's complicated that that question yeah. no i think i think it's a good point because just as we said like we're talking about a culture of, of cost optimization keeping these things in mind and but i think dimitri's question is a very good one is you know whose responsibility is this at the end of the day and i think each company kind of has to decide that with that in mind since you were mentioning the point about alerts being automatically sent and things of that nature we kind of talked a little bit about earlier in terms of scaling you know i mean like we were the this was an e-commerce based company so, you know, Black Friday was big money maker and then also, you know, Cyber Monday and singles days and other other peak times in terms of e-commerce um, from, um, you know, from a cost optimization perspective. But at the same time, wanting to keep that flexibility through through scaling. How did you approach that? Yeah, this 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 uh, being prepared for um for these these special days these peak days that you have in the year at least in in, in this company where other companies maybe have peaks around uh, uh, for example uh, seasonal seasonal peaks right for for when people start booking uh, booking flights or booking holidays or whatever um, we would normally there would be a there would be a testing period for the environment so everything would be would be put in place or prepared at least for for the for the big peaks and spikes here but the more this this auto scaling uh, mechanism was implemented in the different areas in the different projects um we saw that it was less necessary to be on top of it in that sense the the main thing that always was like was confirmed and checked a bit was now the, the databases and the big data clusters and those things now because um that's where the data goes and if you lose that then you could lose uh, revenue there um so yeah we normally had a period what i said a, a period of of testing there uh to you know before this period would start so normally a month before something would start preparing the environment uh test uh, if everything would work the the, the auto scale uh 
configurations and mechanisms that, that we would uh, put in place or that, that already were in place. Uh, and if necessary, maybe here and there increase certain limits that, uh, that we wanted to, uh, to increase. Yeah. Um, of course, these, these periods are very tricky because you never know what's gonna come to you until it's there. Because if you look at, at uh, for example, uh, Black Friday, right? In these areas, in these, you know, these, these kind of companies uh, with, with online products, Black Friday can be a big boom enormously, right? Uh, now also with the with the coronavirus, uh, I'm I'm sure that there have been companies that have had uh, uh, an enormous amount of traffic for all the for all the the visits to their website because no one could get out of the house because of the different lockdowns and 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 protocols. So. Um, how do you prepare for that? I mean, you never know how big this increase is going to be. So what what you see here also is that people tend to over provision uh, before losing there in in not having enough provision, right? Maybe you don't maybe you don't provision enough because maybe now in Black Friday, I think in the last ten years, I don't know how much it has, has gone up, but I think it's like five hundred or a thousand percent that the the, the amount of traffic and sales has gone up, which means that the same amount of traffic to this service is also you know uh, increased so yeah no i remember when we were we were talking a few weeks ago with um with a guy from zolando and he was taught you know we were just looking at the numbers and it was like four billion website visits per year i don't yeah. know how many how many millions of orders how many millions of customers um with all that kind of traffic like you said the provisioning conversation absolutely has to be there now to take it a little bit further now into more the subject about kubernetes and then obviously data on kubernetes when was the first time that you heard about Kubernetes? How did you start working with it? Yeah, this also happened in, um, I think it was around 2017, 18, late 17, beginning 18, I think, um, which was also, it was partially part of, of um, reducing the costs also. So thinking like, should we move uh, our microservices or other services to, uh, to a Kubernetes environment, right? Um, so that's where I, where I had my first encounter with Kubernetes, um, and I have to say that it it works really good uh, if you compare it with um, traditional environments, right? With with more infrastructure as a service. Um, there also being said, that it also depends on how you program or how you how you make how the teams make their, their applications. I mean, you can move an application from a tr more traditional uh, setup um to, to to containerize that you know to put it as a containerized microservice or application but if they still keep the code the same and big and you know then then yeah what what do you really win there so <laughs> i remember before we jumped on you were saying don't mention that word monolithic, monolithic around yeah, me. i know i know i don't uh, you know like <laughs> i'm more like a street talk kind of person in that sense right <laughs> <laughs> don't know what the Dutch slang is for monolithic, but you'll have to teach us later. <laughs> the Dutch know and they, they speak English perfectly. If there's any Dutch person listening. They know. So <laughs> as far as cost control with Kubernetes and what we we really came to to talk about, what are some learnings that you've had over the years when you've been using this and you've been trying to make sure that the costs don't get out of control because it it is as we said before it's very easy to burn yourself and it 
it's almost like it's been made that easy, you know, with everything at your fingertips, like at the developer's fingertips, they can spin up whatever they want, but it's also, there needs to be a little bit of oversight or there needs to be some, some barriers that are in mind so that things don't get too out of control. And so what are some tips that you have for us on that? Um, yeah, so there are multiple answers here. Um, first of all, about the about you now the the teams to to take in mind now to 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 take care a little bit that they don't create too many clusters or resources or or infrastructure. Right? Um, I would I would say here to not to not to deny them access or something, but to 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 really configure this uh, oversight in the correct manner, right? Like in the beginning when we, uh, in this in this company where we worked for, for example, um, we gave the teams um, uh, the freedom to create whatever they want in, in a development environment, in the in the CI environment, right? To, to, for their tests and everything. Later on, we implemented a, a set of uh, uh, steps where someone from the operations team would have to uh, First, approve the changes that they were uh, that they were requesting, right? Or the new the new uh, hardware or notes or more uh, a bigger uh, tier of, of a certain service, right? So that's one of the things that that I think is very important that um, you should not be uh, binding people's hands as in, in saying just do this and this is what you need to do and nothing more. Now give them a little bit of freedom. But do it controlled, right? So that's that's uh, very important. If then we go to uh, to of Kubernetes, like where could you where could you save costs in Kubernetes? Um, I think in Kubernetes, the most uh, mo not most important, but one of the important things here would be the the sizing of your clusters, right? Uh, the sizing together with the scaling of 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 the clusters. What you see in, in Kubernetes now, they made it super easy that more Parts will now are created in your cluster uh, when necessity uh, uh, rise, right? But make sure that this is set up correctly, that you create the good uh, resource limits also, um, because before you know it, you create a lot of pods where where maybe you're giving too not too much resources, so you also need more nodes. So there you go with your scaling, your outer scaling, which works against you. It's very easy to create to have. To, to create a very big cluster when not even needing that that big cluster, right? And with that, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, do you find that there are a lot of similarities between the cost optimization, uh, cost reduction strategies used for, for Asia that you also find in Kubernetes? Or what would you say would be the differences? Yeah, if we compare the, the, the cost optimizations for our Mm, yeah, for for cloud in general, in that sense, because at the end, Kubernetes now, uh, yeah, you can run it as a service, but you can run it on on your own nodes also, right? Um, it's it's all in the same direction. We're talking here about uh, using tags or labels now in Kubernetes, uh, getting your cost from now in in Kubernetes, for example, from your namespaces, from your pods, from your deployments, whereas in more the more traditional environment or the, the infrastructure environment, you would do the same, but you would get it now from from uh, from everything attached to your to your infrastructure, right? So there we're talking about uh, the nodes itself. Anyhow, you need to control both of them. You always need to because you have your cube now. You have your Kubernetes cluster running on on hosts, no, on hardware. So you also need to monitor that hardware, right? Um, but there's there 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 are a lot of similarities, yeah. 
Well, I'm wondering, as far as Azure goes, how have you found, like, how do you get fast storage on Azure? Have you, have you looked at it? Because I want to start talking a little bit more about storage as we go into this, because that is generally one of the highest costs as you start looking at Kubernetes. And I, and I had a friend ask me, oh, ask Ari, how you get fast storage on Azure? Uh, yeah, okay. But fast storage, um, I mean, he's referring to SSD premium storage, uh, I, I imagine, right? Or yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, so you have to, you have the different tiers in in each of the providers. It's not just in Azure, right? You have it in Amazon, in in Google Cloud. You can you can get the the different. Um, at least you can contract the different tiers or different. Uh, how do would you say it? Uh, performance uh, storages, right? So you there you have the standard storage. You have premium storage, uh, and with premium storage, when you also use it, for example, in a in a setup where you're automatically replicating it to different sites uh, as for uh, high availability, then that's very expensive, yes. Um, for the SSD storage, which which would be my, uh, well, now what we call the premium storage, which is the, the quicker storage. There are quicker storages even available, yeah, that's true. Uh, honestly, I do not have a lot of knowledge about the, the, the really, the, the, uh, the the quicker ones in that sense, but the premium storage I do. Um, there, you just need to keep in mind: Do you really need premium storage, or or what do you, what do you need? Do you need to replicate it, um, not geo redundant, or or can you manage by just replicating it uh, within your own region to different uh, to different like uh, in your, within your data center itself? Like, what is your policy on 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 your backup or on your on your security uh, side? Also, now, like, how how do you want to uh, save your data? For how much time do you want to save your data there? Because with if we're talking about storage, storage keeps on counting. I mean, we're talking about the host. The host normally is I turn off my host and I'm not generating any costs. But as in storage, you cannot turn off your storage and you're not paying anything. Your storage is there, and yeah, there's a lot of money involved there. And do you have any best practices on that? Like, have you seen things that that work better? Um, I think it's very important to um, here to set the uh, right the the to think about the correct way of of how long you should save your data, right? And and set up your policies based on that. Like, is it really necessary to create a backup every day, a daily backup, then have one a weekly backup, a monthly backup, and a yearly backup? And how long are you going to save these backups? Right. Uh, obviously, the yearly backup you're not going to save it for for one day. Um, but that's what 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 people eh, what companies tend to do at least, right? So they try to focus on this. I don't want to call it like older uh, way of thinking because it's just the way it was. No, uh, I'm going to have a daily backup for in case tomorrow something happens and I'm going to have a weekly backup so that I can always run back to, no. And and there are a lot of companies still work like that. They have a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a yearly. Uh, and I'm not uh, generalizing here because there will be a lot of companies who do not have that anymore also, no. Um, the more uh, advanced modern companies maybe or, or with better policies in place. Um, so here I would focus more on, on how long would I save each of these backups. Mm, I don't really see the point of uh, 
because I've seen cases where the daily backups would be safe for 90 days. Uh, I personally don't see the point of, of doing that. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my personal opinion, right? Uh, that's that's what I. Uh, so I would I would prefer to to at least half that to 45 or 30 days, maybe maybe. But then you get into weekly backups and to monthly backups that you also have already. So, yeah. Great point. And so, along these lines, I know I asked you before, how many replicas is enough? How, yeah, how many replicas is enough? <laughs> No, that's a that's a a good one. It depends on where you set up your replica. Here we go again with depends and no all these these doubtful answers that I'm giving. Give us uh, a straight Dutch answer. Uh, there's no yeah the date the Dutch are very direct normally. Yeah. Um, no, how many replicas is enough? Um, you can save your data like you can say I want the local redundancy in place, which means now that you can. Um, that you can save the same backup in the same uh, region, right? So in the same data center, but in a different uh, cabin, no? in a different cabin uh, or on a different host. Um, well, what if something happens to the data center, right? Mm, then I don't have anything anymore. Do I need to save it to a different data center in a different area? Pues, yes, that you can do. So I would say two should be enough. Uh, but yeah you never really know. You also need to think about which data do you put in, uh, are you really saving, uh, right? What are you backing up here? Is it the backup that you put away and it's just a backup and you put the backup away or is it something that keeps on, where you keep on putting data, right? Because if you put data into something and it's replicating and you got a problem, an error, and you're also replicating the error, then you have uh, a lot of faulty replicas also, right? Uh, I've been I've been itching to get this one. I make want to make sure I get in. As as we look at more people talking about you know hybrid cloud or some people call it cross cloud, you know options of using uh, Azure, uh, AWS, and Google Cloud. Are there any things that people need to keep in mind there regarding um, optimization of costs? Um, I think that um, using multi cloud environments can could be very interesting. Uh, what you need to what you need to watch out for a little bit is that you don't generate um, extra costs there, of course, because you need to maintain these uh, these environments. So you need to maintain uh, two different subscriptions, no, or two different. Uh, yeah, plus, I mean, you need to go to Azure and you need to connect to AWS. They both have their ways of communicating, maybe. Um, so first of all, that means also that you need to, to have the people in place who can are able to do that who can create it for you but then again it can be interesting cost in the cost side uh, because uh, in, uh, in Azure you would have certain services that are cheaper than than Amazon and 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 vice versa right in the other way around also so there it, can, it could be interesting because maybe uh, I don't know what certain certain VMs are cheaper in in Amazon uh, and you don't and you'd really need those so you use them in Amazon and and another set of for example, the burstable uh, VMs like in 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 Azure, for example, they're cheaper than the 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 ones that that Amazon offers. So you would use those on on Azure, right? Um, that would be a big, not big. It would be an analysis to make for each of the for each company for each situation. But it could be it could be interesting. Just watch out with with you know the complexity of of what you create. Also, um, 
it could also create a little bit of redundancy what we were talking about before right the, about the now about the, the the replicas and everything i mean because maybe you can save data in both of the in both of the cloud providers like that so that could also give you options of uh, or security options right uh, like being prepared for any any uh, whatever disaster or something yeah so i'm wondering about when it comes to kubernetes have you seen any big inefficiencies in the costs that you you generally shy away from because you've done it once before and then you said uh that wasn't the best way of doing this this isn't a best practice i'm going to stop doing it i'm i'm thinking like maybe there's something around like we were mentioning before storage or we were mentioning also it could be with like managed services anything that strikes you right now is something that you wouldn't do again so we we all can learn from that and hopefully not do it mm. In, as in in Kubernetes, I would say um, that's just based on on the experience I have uh, to start small always, right? Uh, what you see there is is that normally we tend to prepare these environments for what we want to have in a year's time, right? So I want to have this whole project or these five projects running on Kubernetes. So let's prepare this. I'm not saying that everybody's doing this, but these are typical mistakes that maybe they seem very uh, harmless, but yeah. they cause a lot of cost because instead of creating 10 VMs, maybe you only need three VMs, for example, or, 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 or nodes, or you just need to make your, no, your, your Kubernetes uh, service smaller, right? So that's where, where I've seen um, yeah, problems, like high, uh, high rises in cost. So some people starting to play now, as we say, play with Kubernetes testing in a development environment and they think, let's spin up a Kubernetes environment and there you go, right? Or, or not turning off your, your environment uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the nightly hours or no, after work hours um, in these environments, that's also what you see. I mean, it doesn't make sense to keep, uh, to keep your development cluster running, for example, throughout the night. Um, of course, depending on what you're running there, if it can be shut down or not, because maybe there are certain changes that you don't want to get lost, or they would get lost if you if you work with uh, like with stateless uh, stateless applications. Or, but I mean, normally in these cases, it would all be coded, right? It should it's all coded in in um, saved. So the next day, you should spin up your cluster again, and the cluster should be the way it was again. I think that's such a good point. How you mentioned to like. Yeah, we want this to all be running on Kubernetes in a year, but the migration also will take a lot of time. So if you have everything set up for a year from now, what you expect, but you're paying for it from now until the year when everything is fully ramped up, then that just doesn't make sense either. So yeah. starting small is, is some nice wisdom. I like that. Now, I have one more and... It's uh, from another friend of mine that I sourced this question from. And it's, it's about like, since Kubernetes is a shared resource, how do you deal with costs with multi-tenant workloads? Uh, is it shared cost across tenants? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, what you can do nowadays, um, and, and if anybody knows better than, than I, then uh, please uh, let us know. Um, 
with these uh, I would use here in this case no of 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 controlling these costs I would definitely use a, a kind of tool uh, to manage it like kubecast or uh, that there there multiple uh, multiple ones like uh, even cloud health that we were using um, I don't I don't know all of them but I know a few of them that that work with this but they uh, with them you can you can create different labels and you no know, you can you can extract costs based on teams projects uh, etc uh, this is also possible in in multi-tenant environments if i'm not mistaken so by using these kind of tools you can get a lot of insight because i mean you can get the cost by cluster deployment by label by namespace uh, by teams um yeah. yeah i don't know i can jump in right away into these management tools but yeah, no, that's, that's what, good. I mean, can you tell us about maybe like your favorite tool that you work with, and maybe also your least favorite tool? <laughs> the least favorite tool that they were not not making uh, friends. Uh, no, it it was one. The, I, 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 honestly, I don't remember the name anymore of the one that we were using uh, first when we when I started working with Azure. It was the one that was always uh, there. It was uh, no, they had a contract with with Microsoft Azure, but I totally forgot the name, and I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, so uh, I think that uh, like uh, tools like Kubecast, they are very uh, specific, made specifically made for for Kubernetes, right? So I think that gives a a big plus because also the development of these tools will be most mostly focused on on the Kubernetes environments. Um, and not just the, the Kubernetes cluster itself, but also the storage behind it. They are thinking about the storages that are attached to, to your uh, clusters and everything, which now uh, relating it back a bit to to, to the talk of, of data and Kubernetes, right? Is very important uh, in this case. Um, but there are other tools also that are fairly advanced. I mean, it's very hard to say which is the better one. We used to work with, with Cloud Health. Um, yeah, what are the nice things here? I mean, these these kind of tools, they they nowadays they they can even create automation scripts for you. They help you with your architecture. To they give improvement. Uh, no, they give you like uh, little advices and stuff. Uh, you can set up policies, alerting. Um, yeah, all the, all these kind of things. Now they give you a reliability score of your Kubernetes cluster, for example. So they say your reliability score is a seven out of ten, for example. No, and saying like your cluster is no. Uh, a seven out of ten, where ten is is perfect, right? Mm. Uh, and there you know if you need to if you need to upgrade your cluster, they even give hints and tips there, and they say you should add more nodes or you should add more CPUs or, yeah, that that's very uh, very helpful there, yeah. Excellent, good. Um, well, that being said, uh, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add as a final thought for people to keep in mind when it comes to cost control optimization. Anything that we haven't covered? First of all, I want to say I have some articles written on LinkedIn, uh, which you can always read. I mean, they're just written from my personal experience, um, giving a little a small like uh, guide on, on what you should focus on when, when working uh, with cost or trying to optimize cost or reduce your cost. Uh, it's not so much just reduction. It's also the optimization with that, because normally you also optimize your environment, right? Um, in in the sense of of... of yeah, that doesn't matter Kubernetes or non-Kubernetes, always try to focus on uh, what's there on the market, right? How are they updating the virtual machines? Normally, Azure, an Azure or AWS, they, they, they create new types of machines, which they put on the market a bit cheaper. 
maybe it's worth it to change to them. Maybe it isn't, but you should always uh, stay up to date with with market uh, changes in that sense. Uh, think about the spot instances, reserved instances, right? If you reserve any uh, certain uh, types of hardware for three years, then you you pay like. 60 or 70 percent less than what you what you would pay if you just pay it as uh, with a pay-as-you-go uh, contract um, with the storage types also uh, you know you get the hot the hot versus cold storages uh, where you should think about you now if do you really need to read these storages constantly or not or is it just a backup like we talked about before because if it's a backup then maybe it's it's more uh, more interesting to uh, you know to to use a different kind of storage um yeah everything that we mentioned a little bit now implement your skill sets uh, auto shutdown i would really push for also for your for your development environments your continuous integration environments uh, shut down those machines that you don't use in the night right if you leave the office at seven for set the, the time at eight and at eight o'clock all your virtual machines they shut down and the next morning you you schedule it that it that it spins up again at, at six in the morning or when the first person normally comes into the office and there you save uh, uh, almost 12 hours of of cost so almost 50 percent of your of your cost right so yeah um yeah that's about it actually i, no, think, I, think, uh, I think it's a, i think it's a very very good summary and i think there's kind of a common thread that's that kind of repeats itself a little bit i Dimitri, i'm sure you would agree that as much as we're talking about extremely advanced technologies at the end of the day there's always a human element whether it's about best practices or uh you know friendly reminders uh, cultural questions um these kind of things about really committing to these things from the very beginning as you said previously with kubernetes if it's starting small if it's with these other things regarding cost reduction um, and optimization of environments of the little things you have to keep in mind from the very beginning and always remember this is going to be an important element it's really fun when you're playing with somebody else's money um, but when it starts to be your own, you'll, you'll probably take it, you, you take it a little bit more seriously. So it's trying to get that, that sort of like DNA, I guess we could say reprogram for people to, to keep this in mind along with all the other elements. And it's not that you don't want to have people, that people can't have fun when they're developing and feel that they can have that kind of freedom to explore and test things out, but to do so responsibly. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. That's well said. Point. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Well, Arya, if anybody wants to follow up with you, what is the best way to reach out? Are you on our Slack yet? Maybe I can convince <laughs> you to get on the data on Kubernetes Slack. I will definitely join your your Slack uh, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and else uh, through LinkedIn, uh, they can always send me uh, a message uh, for whatever they, they want. Um, yeah, I try to... Uh, to follow up with uh, with different articles also on 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 there and um, yeah uh, what we said before no it's an interesting topic I think it's very important to spread the word around this and create discussed consciousness not just in within the companies but just throughout the whole community using uh, using these uh, these uh, environments right nice thank you so much man. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you coming here and talking with us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bart, thanks for joining us, too. My pleasure. All right. We will see you all next week for more Data on Kubernetes and look forward to chatting. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much Bye -bye. for coming. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ari. Bye.